TalkZone.com. Now, TalkZone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, two guys and a mic on TalkZone.com. Opening day for our uh, Chicago Cubs here in Wrigley Field. Got beautiful weather for opening day. Unfortunately, not exactly a beautiful record for the Cubs after the opening weekend and the start of the season. They check in at 2-4. and four. We'll talk about uh, some baseball over the weekend, certainly the Masters Golf Tournament as well. Welcome to the TalkZone.com, the semi-dysfunctional show known as Two Guys at a Mic. If you're checking in via the webcast, you're saying, wait a minute, it's two guys at a mic, but I see five mics and only one guy. Well, there are five mics here, and there is one guy, but there's another guy on the other end of the phone line, and he will be my co-host today. It's the Big Dog, Joel Redwanski. Big Dog, how are you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. You know, there are two guys, but technically there is only one mic because there's also one phone. So it could be two guys, one mic, one phone. Don't get technical with me, young man, on an early Monday morning. Uh, well, uh, there's plenty to talk about this particular early Monday morning. And, you know, at least the Cubs are playing expectations so far this year. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, there's, there's the backhanded compliment. <laughs> uh, I knew this team was garbage coaching. It's pretty much just summing up just the way it is. This year, is this going to be like, how good can Tyler Colvin be? Can mm-hmm. Giovanni Soto, you know, add another good year? Uh, is Derek Lee worth keeping around for next season? That's the type of stuff that, as a Cub fan, that we're going to be interested in seeing. Mm-hmm. If you really want this team to make the playoffs, you better start going to church three or four times a day. Okay? <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. We used to have a good soundbite for that. Um, see, I didn't know that they would be this bad. I thought that they might be. And remember, I... When we made our baseball predictions, I said, if you want to be perfectly objective, as a Cubs fan, perfectly objective, I'm going to guess 78, 79 wins, maybe even worse. But there was certainly the possibility that, uh, you know, they could catch fire, a lot of ifs, and all of those ifs come to fruition, they could be very good. That's why the beginning of the season, Joel, was so disappointing, because once again, no real spark to the team. And again, it's way early, obviously, but uh, certainly not a good first road trip and um you got to hit the ball if nothing else oh well, yeah i agree with you and you know coach i just want to let you know i was joking around when i said they were going to win 29 games i don't think they were going to go 29 and 133 <laughs> this year i was kidding with that I, I really did think and i still think they're going to win like exactly like 78 to, to 82 games mm-hmm. but if you spend more money than the gross national product of haiti on a baseball team <laughs> you should win the division Okay, and that's, that's the, the most frustrating thing. If this team was going young and they were going to win 78 games, mm-hmm. I would say, you know what, there's hope here. This is a lot of fun watching this team. But watching this particular overpaid, overhyped <laughs> bunch of spoiled crybabies that the Chicago Cubs have become, I, I, it's not fun. So to me, it's a garbage 78 win. You can win 78 games and actually feel positive about a team. It's how they do it. The way this team has played baseball so far, and that's only six games, it's a week. It's 126th of the season. But it's, I hate to say it, it just feels like it's just yes. going to be another one of those years where, yep. you know, I go to Wrigley Field 
And for the first four or five innings, I'm actually interested in the game. And then I realized, what am I wasting my time for? I might as well just waste my brain. On the bright side, by the way, a semi-rejuvenated Wrigley Field. And I don't think they spent all the money or more money than the gross national product of Haiti. I want to get back to that and see if that is fact or fiction. But apparently... It's uh, fiction, but it's close. It's close. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, at the very least, we should be able to get a couple of the best Haitian baseball players at least to help us out. I gotta tell you something. Those guys with the voodoo that they do. Oh, yeah. oh, seriously. I mean, seriously. Pedro Serrano, one of the better players ever out of Haiti. Mm-hmm. Of course, he was fictional and in the movie Major League, but still, the guy <laughs> could swing the stick. By the way, speaking of Haiti, just as a side note, and if you're new to the show here, folks, we uh, we get off the beaten track more often than not. And the problem is, we rarely get back onto the track intended. But uh, for the first time since the horrible, horrible earthquake, on a semi-serious note here, Big Dog, you'll be happy to know. The kids' uh, school has started again in Haiti. And, again, a lot of the school buildings are still not built up. They've got tents and makeshift schools. But the first official day of school, the kids are back in and apparently learning about uh, earthquakes and how they start and how to pre- not how to prevent them, but how to uh, live through them will be one of the first topics that are brought onto the school children. But bottom line is school back in session in Haiti, Big Dog, and I know that's a, a good thing. Yeah, it's definitely a good thing. And I, I remember uh, going back to school, you know, late August, early September, and how I didn't really enjoy it. You know, I wasn't, you know, I, I, I particularly like not doing anything in the middle of the summer. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be a little different when, you know, maybe your school collapsed or maybe that's the only way you're going to eat. You look at school a little bit differently when you go yes. through an earthquake where a whole entire, well, not a whole entire country, but mm-hmm. a majority of the country was left yep. homeless. Yeah. So. Don't forget, we do have listeners in the uh, Haitian area courtesy of our website now we're uh extending out into seven different continents also parts of kentucky and lower tennessee as well 888-463-6748 that's our phone number if you want to join us if you're in haiti or if you're in chicago as a cub fan or anywhere in the vast in between the phone lines are open 888-463-6748 our producer david also will answer the phones he is multilinguistic by the way so if you call in from any one of a number of languages, uh, I don't know if David speaks all of them, but uh, a good many of them. He does struggle with his Portuguese, though, Joel. So if you're calling from Portugal, don't expect the best from our producer. Uh, he doesn't speak Port- or, or Brazil, too, I, I take it. No, I think he's a little weak on Brazilian. Oh, really? Yeah. But he can speak Portuguese. He can't speak Portuguese, but he's weak on Brazilian. Yes. Okay. <laughs> You've really lost me. I'm totally confused now. <laughs> There's some logic there somewhere. Don't complicate things. Yeah, I'm multilinguistic. Linguistic. You're multi-something. I don't. I don't know if linguistic is the one I would put. <laughs> Some people say, you know, I'm very good with words. They say I'm a cunning linguist. <laughs> I want to know who those some people are. All right. So anyhow, we got kids back at school in Haiti. That's that's a good thing. I forgot how we got sidetracked out of that, but uh, I started to say. You had mentioned uh, the inner bowels of Wrigley Field and some of the changes that they've done. The fans go into the game today, and by the way, I will be one of them. Courtesy of Smith Barney Steve, one of our fine listeners, I got tickets for the game, and I'll be going to the opening game. But apparently, Big Dome, maybe you know more than me because there's been some YouTube videos, but um, more so, I guess, on the inside than on the outside of Wrigley Field, but they have made some changes with the new ownership. Yeah, i, I got to be honest with you, Coach. I've only read about them. I haven't seen them, and basically – uh, easier access to bathrooms, especially for men. Okay. Okay. What, what, uh, what was wrong with the old access? I complain about it, but it, let's face it, it the, the women have much better facilities at Wrigley Field in terms of bathrooms well, than men do. As well it's they ridiculous should. Ridiculous for men. As well they should. Well, 
what women have to go through to go to the uh, bathroom compared to men. I have no problem at all with the uh, women's bathroom. Be, you know, there should be five women's bathrooms to one guy's. No, you know, I'm not big on that stuff. I, I, I don't understand why a woman has to camp out in there. Bring five bags, a blow dryer, and a bunch of other stuff, and, and that's that's just to check the time. Okay, I well, really don't understand why women need such facilities at a ballpark. Well, I, I would disagree. At a ballpark, I don't think that many are bringing the blow dryer. Now, if you talk about time spent in the bathroom at home, now I'm going to bring up issues with it because I think that's a major problem with the female portion of uh, our fine society. But if you're talking about sporting events, washroom use, it's simply a matter of uh, logistics of the Scientology of it, of what a woman has to do compared to a guy. I don't think they're spending that much time fluffing up in the uh, actual stall. It's just a matter of a timing situation, if you will. I, I do understand, and I appreciate it because, you know, especially if you're one of those guys that you're going, wait for me outside the bathroom. Oh, my goodness. Seriously. like You know, after a while, if you ever have was put in that situation, Coach, mm-hmm. you know, like I, like some girls are like, well, you, I know if I, I they're not, I'm not out here, I'm going to get yelled at for a while. So I'd have to time it right. I'd be able to go get a beer and a hot dog, uh-huh. be back, finish the <laughs> hot dog. And normally the girl I was with was drinking anyway, so she didn't realize that I had yeah. to drink a whole beer while she was in there. Very nice. You got your timing down. Timing's very important, big dog. Mm-hmm. All right, now there's, there's more than more than just washrooms. Though. Let's move on to some of the other things. I heard, uh, and, you know, Wrigley Field's a wonderful park, but one of the weaknesses, I think, has been their food service. It's the same Weak hot dog, hamburger, and that chicken sandwich they order is absolutely brutal. Compared to like you know most, there, the huh? only thing to get is the best kosher dog. That's the only thing in the whole park that's worth eating, Coach. Yeah, but I don't eat hot dogs. Well, the best kosher ones are good though. Okay, it's pure beef, and they, I mean, and it's actually a good yeah. part of the cow. You know, but Joe says one hundred percent beef. Sometimes that means that includes the hoof, the heart, and the <laughs> testicle. You know what I mean? But the best kosher is actually just the butt of the okay. of the dog of well, the. Of the cow. That does make me feel a little bit better about eating the uh, best kosher hot dog. But what I'm comparing it to is other ballparks that have, you know, like, well, White Sox Park, so which has, you know, an unbelievable amount of cuisine, away. all the different international foods. So I think Here's, Rick. I'm going to U.S. Sailor Field, bought the cheapest ticket, went and had lunch there and left. Yes. I mean, I'm telling you, that is food at U.S. Sailor Field is absolutely delicious. I live, I used to walk to the park all the time. And legitimately, if it was like an afternoon game and I was hungry, mm-hmm. I actually would be like, you know what, I'm going to go to a baseball game today, and I would eat their coach. <laughs> that was when I that was when I used to walk to the park all the time. I used to go to like 15, uh-huh. 20 White Sox games a year. Yep, it's magnificent the food they got there. Ryan Sorf doesn't mess around. One of the best baseball experiences I have ever had is getting. I love getting the games early first of all, and, and taking all the. There's something special about the whole pregame. I don't know about batting practice, but just you know, the half an hour, 40 minutes before game oh, time. I, I love that stuff. Yeah. I, I can watch it all day. But one of the best experiences I've ever had, Big Dog, is you go to White Sox Park, and I'm sure this is true about many of some of the newer parks, uh, certainly not Wrigley Field, though, but you walk all the way around, all mm-hmm. the way around, and you catch all of the smells of the food that is being cooked. I mean, it is absolutely uh, it is a, a uh, taste Sense, a sensory sensation. Uh, you know, it, it's funny you say that, and I've learned to go to USA Cellular Field because they are always updating stuff and they move stuff around. The first game you go to at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. you should buy your beer, because yep. that doesn't change, and walk around first before yes. you eat and then make a whole game plan yes. of where you want to go and what type of food you want to eat. That's, I'm not joking about that, Coach, because yeah. they move stuff around every year. Uh-huh. You know, they, they make Ethiopian food taste good at USA Cellular Field. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, Coach. Uh-huh. 
Now, I heard at the Wrigley Field, and they are updating the uh, concession stand, which they definitely need to do. By the way, if you're listening uh, from a baseball city other than Chicago and uh, you want to talk about your particular baseball team, how they're doing so far, or more importantly, give us an idea what some of the concessions, some of the food uh, delicacies are at your particular ballpark, 888 By the way, golf fans, Masters fans, we're going to get to that in just a second. That'll be the main topic of our conversation today, but we're kind of leading off with opening day here, baseball at Wrigley Field. Um I heard one of the new items, Big Dog, is they've got the uh, Buffalo Burger at Wrigley Field. I've had a, you know Buffalo meat in the past. They're advertising that fairly big. You're our health and nutrition guy. Uh, give me the benefits or lack thereof of the Buffalo Burger. Uh, I have not had Buffalo yet, and I'm definitely going to try it once I go to Wrigley Field. Uh, it's still going to be served on white bread, and white bread's bad for you, so unless they're served on wheat, it'd be better. But yeah. Buffalo has... Uh, there's more protein okay. per serving, and it's leaner. So technically, if uh, you're trying to stay away from long-chain triglyceride saturated fats because wow. you're worried about a heart attack, mm-hmm. it's probably a good choice for you. So okay. just a little bit healthier. It's still red meat, let's face it. Mm-hmm. So there's still going to be that that stuff in it. But it's supposedly a lot healthier for you. Like mm-hmm. legitimately, there's a third the amount of saturated fat per the same amount of Beautiful. meat as a regular hamburger. Beautiful. I may I may search out a buffalo burger and I will report to the talkzone.com listening audience on how the buffalo burger was. Some new items also. Any other uh, for the fans heading out there or maybe got a uh, ticket coming up in the near future? Any other changes to a uh, beautiful Wrigley Field? Now, supposedly uh, the car wash is gone and there's it's expensive, but you can park right by the ballpark. And anybody out there, that is driving to Wrigley Field and not driving like a mile away and walking, uh, there's one of two things. That's your first time you've ever gone to Wrigley Field. Number two, you're an idiot. Or number three, you're even a bigger idiot than I thought you were. I mean, there's no reason to drive to Wrigley Field, but they do have uh, – they, there's extra well, parking there, Coach. There, there is, but they're going to charge you. This is one of the things I don't like understand. Bucks, isn't it? Huh? It's like $50 if you park in the in the new parking lot. 55 dollars uh, yeah, I well, think that's, so. That's what I heard. I don't know if it's yeah. true, but somebody is it. Is Dave, is it? Well, the the, cl- the closer you are, the more they're going to charge. Fifty sounds extreme. Maybe this year it will be. But here's my thing, Big Dog. And you and me have gone to the game before, and we've done this. I don't understand why people pay twenty bucks or twenty five to park so close to the state. Why are people afraid of walking? I, oh, the parking what? around Wrigley Field is terrible. I said, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's if you park. 10 or 12 blocks away. Now, that's not that much. There's not plenty of parking. You can find a side street. You can park for free. Don't be so lazy. You walk to the ballpark. Now you don't feel so bad about sitting for two and a half hours. You eat your popcorn, your peanuts, whatever else you do, your saturated fat items. And now at the end of the game, you can walk a little bit of up with a nice 10, 12-block walk. People are lazy, big dog. In, 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 coach, you're 100% right. I, I I showed you that one area. Remember that we can walk. That you, you yeah. can park, no problem, and you I, walk. It's a, it's a I almost got beaten up in that field. area. What's up? I almost got beaten up in that area. You told me to park. Well, well I, coach, you should not have wore that particular pink T-shirt. Okay. <laughs> that, that had nothing to do with the area. It was just how flamboyant uh, you were acting that particular. It wasn't day. a guy. It was some girl, and her name was Earl. <laughs> it was not one of my better memories. But continue There's on. No. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's, you're exactly right. Anybody, you should not drive your, take the red line. It's so easy. Yeah. Take an, 
to, you know, get to one of the end cars on the red line. Don't get in the middle because you'll be packed in like a sardine. Mm-hmm. And, and take a train ride there. Or, yeah, and walking there is without a doubt the best. You walk through Wrigleyville, that yes. place is fantastic. There's oh, so yeah. many nice little nook and cranny bars yes. all over the absolutely. place. The, the walk is part of the entertainment. Oh, absolutely, yeah. especially if you're dressed up and like the this year man yeah. or something, Coach. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, So so many people complaining about how horrible the parking is around Wrigley Field. Stop being so lazy and walk. And you're right, public transportation is the first way to go. All right, so we got baseball on the docket. We'll talk Masters in a little bit, but real quick, just to uh, wrap up the baseball, Big Dog, any early indications, both the White Sox and Cubs, not so good. Uh, two and four overall, they both go two for three, losing over the weekend. The White Sox, in particular, had a big series with Minnesota, and um, so far the Ozzygian small ball theory not working so well. But it's early. It's early, but not a good weekend for the White Sox. You know what? Uh, the White Sox, uh, it, it's early, but it's not like they're shooting themselves in the foot. It's not like they're walking the bases loaded with a two-run lead and give up a grand slam. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's they haven't played exactly great baseball yet, but it seems like their plan can work, and they have the players to do it. It's so I wouldn't give up on the Chicago White Sox. Now, a six-game sample for them isn't all that bad so far. Seems like uh, certainly true with the Chicago teams that the starting pitching outside of the opener from Carlos Zambrano, both White Sox and Cubs, has been either good. pretty good to very good. And Big Dog, does, I haven't followed all the baseball, but a little bit of it. Does this transcend as a trend in Major League Baseball, the starting pitching? has been pretty good, but boy, to find those relievers that can get outs in the seventh and eighth inning and the ninth inning, it's getting tougher and tougher, and I think that's true for most teams, not just the Sox and the Cub. No, that, that's, that isn't a new trend, Coach. That's been that way for a long time. There's a reason why guys are in the bullpen is because they're not as good as the starters, and you, sometimes your best arm might be your closer, but you know, six, seven, and eighth inning guys in baseball nowadays, if mm-hmm. you have three or four good ones in your bullpen, you have a great bullpen, and we're talking about most teams have seven guys in their bullpen. If three or four of them are good, you have a good pen nowadays. That's why, I mean, really, uh, if you, you get a major injury at the end of your bullpen, like uh, with the Twins, that's going to be major to see who's going to fill in for Nathan because mm-hmm. that takes away one of their eighth-inning guys or their seventh-inning guys. So, if it wasn't for uh, the eighth-inning right now, the Cubs would be 5-1. and one, right? Absolutely. John Grabo, what, what the heck happened last year? You know, when the Cubs were horrible, he comes over and he – Got everybody out. Now the season's new. You got to find that you know the Cubs are obviously in contention. It was zero and zero, and every time he comes into a game, he blows a lead. You know, is Malin Caridad? You know, that means hope in Spanish. <laughs> not for the, not for his teammates. It's obviously for the guy batting. It must mean hope. I mean, come on. I thought for a minute I thought you said it meant toast in Spanish. Oh, not, I'm not exactly sure what that is. I, I think it's one of the Bears' cornerbacks, Nathan Basher. That's what it means, toast in Spanish. <laughs> oh, any other teams impressing you? I'm looking at the standings now. Toronto has uh, started off the season. Obviously, it's way early. 5-1, and one, the Detroit Tigers. Very impressive in the American League Central at 5-1. And, one, and uh, kind of my uh, my adopted team, if you will, for this year, the Oakland A. Pretty impressive at 5-2 and two to start off the season. You know, the, the American League West is a little bit better than, than people may uh, realize, and the, the A's are definitely included in that particular group. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to start tooting anybody's horn too early. Don't forget, Toronto always starts out really hot. I'm not even sure what their record is, but I'm sure Kansas City's playing a lot better now than they're going to play in two months. Mm-hmm. So I will, I will toot one team's horn if I could, and you see if I'm tooting too early, and I don't want to toot too early because uh, I did – Tweet a toot one time and it got back to me, but I think the San Francisco Giants 
And I said this at the start of the year. People were saying, ah, they're not going to be good. I think the Giants are for real. I think, uh, you know, their pitching staff, their starting pitching, everybody already knew was good. Their hitters, much better than you thought. And uh, the guy with the biggest butt in baseball, Pablo Sandoval, is my yeah. early candidate for uh, MVP of the league this year. Well, don't forget that Albert Pujols is in that same league. So, um, yeah, but Albert Pujols does not have the low center of base of a Pablo Sandoval. If the, if the Bears are looking for a center, a guy who can bend over and snap it, I think Pablo Sandoval, the third baseman for Frisco, that's one of the best behinds I've seen in baseball in a long time. I don't think he can get the ball between his legs, Coach. A football, that is. A baseball, he probably could squeeze through yeah. there, but I don't think a football. He doesn't. No, I, I really like Kung Fu Panda, Coach. I really do like the guy, but I think calling him an MVP candidate is a okay. little too much. All right, you're probably right, but what about calling the Giants? Uh, even though it's early, I'm calling the Giants for real right now. Not only are the Giants a good regular season team, they are ideal for the playoffs. They got Matt Cain and Tim Lincecum. They have two number one power pitchers. And the, the, Brian Wilson, you know what? It seems like every year he gets a little bit better as a closer. They got Jeremy Affeld as a lefty out of the bullpen mm-hmm. for a middle relief guy. And they can catch the ball all over the infield. And if you think about this, you know how many people have won World Series rings on the Giants? They've got a bunch of guys that have won the, the uh, World Series already. Uh, Molina behind the plate, uh, Uribe. I can't even believe I'm saying this, but Juan Uribe might be one of the most frustrating like players that the White House have ever had. But you know what? In 05, he was awesome. And every last year, he showed flashes of being exactly you know what he was with the White House. He's mm-hmm. a really good fielder and a good situational hitter. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, in 06, he might have been the worst player the White Sox had. But you know maybe with a chance out in San Francisco, he has it. They can catch the ball, Coach. And I do agree with you. Sandoval is probably the best hitter in the National League that people don't know about. He's yep. going to hit 330 again this yep. year, and he's going to hit 20 homers. He's, mm-hmm. he's a good ball player. And uh, Timmy Lensicone, the two-time Cy Young Award winner, still a lot of the fans, the uh, middle-of-the-road fans, still not aware of who this kid is, 168 pounds, soaking wet. He, again, for the third consecutive year, Big Dog, he's starting off uh, unbelievable. He had a great first start yesterday, I think 10 strikeouts in seven innings. The guy is uh, amazing. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny that, like, the, the low-key baseball fans don't know much about him, but all the emo kids across America, yep. some of them are putting down their skateboards and picking up baseballs because of Tim Lincecum. <laughs> he's he's the X Games version of a baseball star, huh? Yes, he is, Coach. Beautiful. Hey, Big Dog, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, folks, we get off the baseball beat. The Masters Golf Tournament over the weekend. We have news, we have notes, we have tidbits. I know, Big Dog, you've got your tablet full of notes from watching Phil, Tiger, and the rest of them over the weekend. Yeah, but I couldn't really write too much on it because all the chips were getting all over my house. (laughs) All right, we'll take a quick break. David Olson, our producer, back in a minute. Masters Golf on the back of two guys in a mic talk zone. Dot com.
lines are open for your calls on Two Guys and a Mic. Call 888-GO-FOR-IT. Once again, here's the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski, on TalkZone.com. I think that guy likes you a lot more than he likes me, big dog. Do you notice that? Rather mundane, back with the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. I don't want to. Take a personal affront, but whoever that announcer is, I do believe he enjoys your work. Well, I, I do think that he was afraid that I was going to kill him after he mispronounced my name the first time he did the recording. <laughs> I'm getting an indication from our uh, producer extraordinaire, David Olson, that uh, what you say is a little closer to the truth than you might think. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, real quick, dog, before we talk Masters Golf, and uh, any of the golf fans out there, Masters fans, you you watched it, you want to talk about it, two guys at a mic is the place to come. 888-463-6748, our phone number. You can email your comments to mike2guys at AOL.com. That's M-I-C and the number two, mike2guys, AOL.com. Big Dog, I know you, uh, in your family background, I haven't quite figured the percentages, but I know you have some Polish descent in the Redwanski name. Uh, very serious tragedy over the weekend. Plane crash, 95 people killed. Uh, most of them, it was in Russia, right? But most of them were of Polish descent, including, of course, uh, the president of Poland, Lech Karsinski. I had no idea this happened, Coach. Really? You're breaking this news to me right now. I legitimately have was working like 12 hours every single day this particular weekend. You do need to check out the front page on occasion. I Well, I don't get the newspaper. The president of Poland. Uh, do you know anything about uh, Lech Karsinski? I know he was fairly well-respected by the United States, very well-respected apparently in Israel as well. Well, you know, he, they've done a lot. Basically, it's been the United States and Poland when it comes to the war in Iraq, yeah. uh, Afghanistan, all that stuff. Poland has been hand-in-hand hand with the United States in this. So, mm -hmm. um, And obviously the people of Israel are, are loving the uh the Polish Army, because they do a lot for them. So, mm -hmm. yeah, this is big news, Coach. All right, well, check it out, and uh, tomorrow you can uh, comment on it. But I, I hate to break it to you it, over the uh, phone lines here, but it was a terrible tragedy, the whole country of Poland in warning. I know uh, Lech Walesa was a big fan of ex-Polish President Lech Walesa, but Lech Karsinski, who tragically passed away in that plane crash, not real familiar with his work. Uh, I can't say that I am either, Coach. Apparently Lech is a very popular name in Poland, though. No, they're not lacking Lex. <laughs> I can see you're all broke up. I, I am, Coach. Ninety-five people. That's big yes. time. I, I just, I'm embarrassed. I didn't. Yes. I didn't know about it. Seriously, mm -hmm. I legitimately have been like leaving my house at seven and getting home at like nine o'clock at night. And then when I get home, I'm doing other stuff on the computer that mm -hmm. has. So legitimately, I had no idea, and it, I couldn't even tell you what happened in the Masters. Mm -hmm. Besides really? that, Phil Nichols, I didn't watch any of it. Really? None. Oh man. Coach, I, I mean, like right now I'm up against it, so i got to work as much as I possibly can. Uh -huh. I do know Phil Mickelson won, and I did see his shot on, what was it, 13th when he was behind the tree? Yep. And he, it was a, uh, it was a, I guess well, he ended up missing the eagle putt. But, so, I mean, that is absolutely phenomenal that, that the shot he made right there pretty much sums up uh, the type of player that he is because he always goes for it, and normally he gets burnt. But I guess this time it worked out for him, huh? Yeah, he was, uh, they called Tiger Woods the shot maker, and Tiger made some shots yesterday. Phil Mickelson was indeed the shot maker yesterday. He wins a great Masters. Of course, uh, Anthony Kim made a great run at it, and uh, Lee Westwood uh, was on top, and then he started to fold. Everybody thought he would fall away. He didn't fold up. He didn't fall away. He came back and made a run at it. 
Big Dog, when we left the show on Friday, we were only hoping for uh, a close battle on the back nine. Not only did we get that, we got it with all the great stories with Freddie Couples, with the superstars, Mickelson and Woods, with an uppercumber like K.J. Choi. It was a storybook finish, and we certainly got what we wished for, an exciting back nine. Um, I really wish I could have thought. And, you know, it's funny, like Freddie Couples, I did see him interviewed afterwards or yep. last night, and he was all dejected and stuff. You know, I know he's disappointed that he lost, but there's sometimes you got to be like, you know what, I'm playing the best golf of my entire life, and I'm 50, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and be happy about it. There's no reason to be disappointed to play the way Freddie Couples did this particular weekend. Yeah, no, on the other hand, though, I agree with you. From a spectator standpoint, logis- logically and practically, you make those comments. On the other hand, when you see guys like that that, that are disappointed after that, part of that competitive streak where they want to win so bad, that is a good part of the reason that they're major league professional athletes and at the top of their game. They have that kind of competitive instinct where if they don't win, it's a disappointment. You know what I'm saying? Oh, right, absolutely. And that's the way, like when Tiger Woods was talking about how he's really firing the course and he's a bit of a jerk. He said, you know, he said that I'm going to try to be more respectful of the game. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm, but I am worried that it might take away from my edge. Mm-hmm. And there, there could be a little something to that, and, and that also plays into it, the whole mm-hmm. thing of, you know, you shouldn't be satisfied with finishing in second place if you really do want to be the best golfer that you possibly can be. How about, and I forget now, was it Friday or Saturday when Phil Mickelson went eagle, eagle, and I believe in Masters history, the history of the Masters, 65 years, whatever it is, there's only been two consecutive eagles in the history of the Masters. I think I got that fact right. And then on the following hole, Big Dog, he almost got a third eagle. He hit some hot streaks that were just off the charts. Oh, that that's that's been amazing. That must have been fifteen and sixteen, where uh, there are two par fives right in a row. Mm-hmm. It had to be those two because uh, I mean, it's you, you normally don't eagle par fours and stuff unless you get a lucky chip in or something like that. Well, you talk about a um, well, he did hit at least one of the eagles was from from distance. Oh, okay. Yeah, so one of the eagles did come on a par four, so it might have been like fourteen and fifteen. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. It was an amazing streak, but uh, what wasn't too long ago. You remember when Phil Mickelson had all the awards, all the trophies in golf, but he could not win the green jacket. You remember that? Not just the green jacket. They kind of he was ridiculed as oh uh, uh, a good golfer, but he can't win the big one. He's a choke artist. And now you know it's funny. Ever since he won that Masters, now he's considered one of the great golfers. Yep. And what what's really different is oh just the simple fact that. One of the tournaments that he won was a major, and it happened to be the Masters. Mm-hmm. I'm not downplaying the Masters whatsoever, but it, it's kind of funny how he was looked at as a choker mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, you, the old expression, you got the monkey off your back. Uh-huh. Uh, whatever expression you want to use for that, clearly when he won that first Masters, there was a load off his shoulders, and you can see he's playing now with a lot more fun, a lot more confidence, and, uh, uh, you know, you got to say there's two. Two dominant golfers in golf right now, not just Tiger Woods. Phil Mickelson has hit that level. And, of course, one of the great highlights of all golf tournaments, we've talked about this before, is the winner. Getting to kiss Amy Mickelson, and that happened. It's always nice, too, when it's her husband. But for me, Big Dog, just watching anybody kiss Amy Mickelson is one of the highlights of my Sunday. Yeah, without a doubt. Without, she even gave Lee Westwood this. She's like, i got to give you a squeeze. Yeah, you know she yelled at the Lee, Lee Westwood yep. as the as the tournament. Ended, well, it, so. it did bother me last year when she went lip lock with Angel Cabrera. Uh, I gotta be quite honest with you that he's they call him the Latin lover, Angel Cabrera. 
I, I am, by the way, putting Amy, Amy Mickelson has entered my uh, top five of uh, females. Oh, really? Yeah, she's awfully cute. She yeah, seems she's like, just very... seems like the all-American girl and beautiful young lady. And uh, watching, in all seriousness, watching Phil Mickelson's embrace with her at the end and everything she's gone through with the breast cancer and everything. It was a uh, very uh, cool to watch, but a very emotional moment as well. Yeah, it, it was pretty cool. And. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sitting here bashing uh, Tiger Woods because you know how I feel about it. People need to stay out of his personal life. All I care about is, you know, how he golfs and how he treats, you know, yep. people. You know, what, who cares? But it, it is kind of funny in this whole story of, oh, Tiger Woods' back is, is Elon going to be there and all the other hype that has come out of this particular situation. Mm-hmm. The true and consummate family man is the one that wins the, the Masters yep. in Tiger's first tournament back. Yep, no question about it. 888 You watch golf's, uh, what most people would say, the elite tournament, the best tournament. Others could argue U.S. Open. A lot say the British Open, but uh, let's not quabble about that. Certainly one of the great events in golf over the year. You watched it. You want to comment on it. We're right here for you. 888 Again, you can email us at Mike2Guys at AOL.com. Big Dog, we're watching a 50-year-old guy. We're watching a couple of superstars. But uh, late in the show, on the back nine, a future superstar, not that far away from the top, came to fruition. His name was Anthony Kim. Now, you didn't get a chance to watch it. But this kid who was about four holes ahead of the rest, all of a sudden he captured the TV cameras, and he just got on fire. From like hole number 13 to 18, unbelievable putting. But Anthony Kim is a star of the future, if not the present. Yeah, and he was, uh, from the story that I was uh, understanding with Anthony Kim, he was driving horribly, and then his second shot would be like a miraculous shot just to get it back on the fairway for you know a, a shot at an approach shot. So mm-hmm. he was really uh, making up for bad tee shots yesterday. Well, Phil, Phil had that problem also. There was about, um, I'm going to say, 12 through... 15, like four consecutive holes, when he just totally butchered his drive. Now, you saw one of the great, you know, what that what was it, the 13th, where he made the unbelievable shot? Yes, yeah, where he was behind the yeah. tree and hooked it around the tree and put it about 10 feet away from the hole. Yeah, at the I mean, that, that, I mean that, that shot will be, uh, you know, replayed over and over again. That will be one of the great shots of his career, and it helped him to win the Masters, but... Yeah, whoever was the analyst, not the play-by-play guy, yes. but the analyst for that particular hole, because you know the Masters have the different people at the different holes. He just showed, that's the greatest shot of his life! Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. He got a little, really? little carried away, but I don't think he was that far from exaggeration. I mean, it, it, to, it may have been the greatest shot of his life. Good point. Yeah, and, and you know, it didn't come in the, uh, you know, the Buick Open. It came at the Masters. Yeah, that does make it a little bit more significant. On the back nine on a final day when you're, uh, you know, you're, you're in the lead trying to hold on to the lead. So I don't know about the greatest, but it certainly will be amongst the great ones when we remember Phil Mickelson's career. But a lot of guys were, um, in the woods, which I am well familiar with. And you got, you could see all the trees lined up. What I was amazed with, I don't know, David Olson, producer, are you a uh, golfer? No? I don't have the patience for it. All right. David doesn't have the patience for this one-hour show. I can just imagine five hours on the golf course. No, no, no. I used to golf, and I just didn't have the patience for it. Yeah. I got I got too frustrated. Okay. And, you know, if you're going to go out and spend three hours on the course, you want to enjoy yourself. But, and I couldn't. I right. just I just couldn't. It's, just, a, it's a good walk ruined. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But have you ever been behind, like, you've been in the woods, and you got, like, three or four trees in front of you? Oh, why do you think it was so frustrating? <laughs> <laughs> but most of us would just, you know, punch it out. 
But these guys, big dog, yesterday in particular, Mickelson and Tiger Woods, they would fire through like three, four, five, six trees, unbelievable accuracy. And if you don't hit it right, I mean, you could you get killed. You lose the tournament. Huh? You well, lose the tournament. You lose the tournament, absolutely, and, and either you or a spectator could get killed. You know, you, you know, you. that's not that far-fetched, Coach. The first shot I ever took as a golfer at the Downers Grove Public Course, beautiful course, <laughs> dribbles off to the left, right? I'm like, oh, man. So I line up the next shot, and, like, so if you're, if I'm, like, where I'm pointing at is 12 o'clock. Right at, like, 2 o'clock is a tree about 20 feet away. Well, I swing. I'm absolutely horrible. I hit the thing, and it goes directly at 2 o'clock at the tree. That thing ricochets, comes right back at me. I move my head enough. It's Skims my head. I swear to you, if I didn't move, it would have hit me right in the eye, and I would have been completely blinded and, and dead. <laughs> so, yes. Did you say I this This was your very first time ever going golfing? Ever golfing. This is my, <laughs> shot off, my second shot after my, my drive. I really shouldn't call it a drive. It was my dribble. And then my, my next shot. After that, I was like, I, I just started picking the thing up and throwing it. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> Daily quandary for the day. It's a little bit late. We'll throw it out there, though, folks. Listeners out there, we want to know about your worst golf shot ever. Everybody's got one, right, Doug? Oh, you got to have it. That's probably not even no, you're, that's my worst golf shot of all time is at the Jacksonville Public Course, Coach. It, at the time, it was considered the nicest public course in America. Okay. So I'm playing there with some of my college teammates. That okay. was, it was the nicest public course before you played it, after you were on it for 18 holes? It wasn't so nice anymore. That, yeah, that's probably the summation. Yeah, that pretty much describes it. Well, I'm playing with John Mitz Doffa and Marlo Hollingshed and Rob Cruz. All these guys are awesome, okay? I'm the best football player there. I'm the worst golfer by far, okay? So around hole number like uh, 13 or 14, Coach, I get up to it, and I whack this thing, and I hit it pretty solidly, but it just goes right. And I throw it on my club, and I'm like, I'm sick of this. I cannot blankety-blank-blank believe this. And all the other guys are like, why are you yelling? That's the nicest shot anybody has hit all day long. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's perfect. It's right next to the green. I was looking at the wrong hole. (laughs) I was looking at the wrong hole. And I shot it. I was like, the way the fairway, it was like like the middle of March. So the fairways weren't done yet. We were one of the first people to play on it. (laughs) And my greatest golf shot I've ever made was an accident. It was kind of like the time I closed my eyes and hit a pitch off Elisa Fernandez and hit a rocket by a drive off. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you were going to say you were aiming for a hole. Yeah, you sliced it so bad, you ended out on the green of another hole, but you got a twist to it. You actually were aiming at the wrong at, hole. At the wrong hole. And landed on the green of your hole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anybody that's got to want to, want to relay to us uh, your worst shot in your golf history, uh, humorous or tragic, or anywhere in the vast in between, 888-463-6748. On occasion, we'll throw out a daily quandary. That'll be today's daily quandary. I remember my worst big dog was when I had a drive that went negative yards. Actually went behind me, <laughs> and I'm teeing off at the guy's tee. Uh-huh. I hit a solid ground ball, well-hit grounder, by the way, but it hit the women's tee, shot back over my head, and landed about 20 yards behind me <laughs> for negative, oh, was... negative yardage on the drive. Did you, did you take the next shot with your pants around your ankles like you're supposed to? <laughs> no, because I was playing with a female uh, group. 
Oh, okay. Well, yeah. definitely you don't want to do it then, my goodness. <laughs> Talk about adding insult to injury. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not make a bad situation worse. All right, so Phil Mickelson wins it. Lee Westwood, uh, you got to give credit to uh, Lee Westwood, who apparently has taken over the mantle, big dog. Sergio Garcia has long since lost it, but Lee Westwood now is the best golfer who hasn't won a major. But to his credit, when he started the fold, and we've seen so many guys in majors, young guys that are trying to win it, the pressure gets to him, and they just totally discombobulate. He had a couple of bad holes, but then he came back and actually put the pressure on Phil, and Mickelson kept birding. But Lee Westwood, would you say now he's the best golfer that hasn't won a major? Um, I'm going to have to go with you there, Coach. Yeah, uh, he probably is. You know, we had we had on one really good doctor on our, on the old show, and he like we talked about, oh, did this guy choke or not? Yeah, I don't know if Lee Westwood like folded in terms of choke. I just think he did like it was just a tough golf course at at some point. It wasn't like uh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name last year at the Masters who you could tell like his shoulders tightened up and his yep. breathing shortened, and he yep. actually did choke. It was mm-hmm. it was because he was nervous is yep. why he missed the shot. I, I don't think Westwood played poorly because of nervousness or mm-hmm. being, it was clutch. I just think that's a tougher golf course than people might realize, and even though it's some. Like probably, but that might have been the lowest score I've ever seen at mm-hmm. the Masters, uh, sixteen under. But it's still a very, very, very yeah, difficult West, golf. Westwood, uh, I think he finished at thirteen under in second place. Anthony Kim, right behind him. And you're right, watching the body language, he didn't uh, choke. And it, it was odd that uh, the doctor we hit on talking about it. It made sense though. He talked about one of the keys for athletes in pressure situations. If you remember this correctly, Big Doe, was yeah. to relax the jaw. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. To relax. It sounds weird at first, but when you think about it, if the jaw is relaxed, it kind of sets the tempo for the rest of the body? Yeah, and and that was all part of the thing. Like It started with the jaw. You relax the jaw, and then you make sure your shoulders aren't shrugged up and tight, mm-hmm. that you relax your shoulders. Because mm-hmm. like when you get nervous, you'll, you'll tighten your shoulders up, and all of a sudden your swing isn't the same because your shoulders aren't in the same spot. And when you're talking about golfers at this caliber – one little micro fraction of a difference in your body means the ball. Because these guys, know, like you said, they, they can hit balls in between trees and around stuff. You know what I mean? Because they, they just hold the club a little differently. Mm-hmm. Well, if their shoulders are in a different spot because their jaw is, is too tight, they end up hitting the ball differently. Mm-hmm. So it, it comes down to just simple stuff like that to take a deep breath and relax and remember, hey, it's only a game. You know, and I'm going to get paid. I've made, I've made mm-hmm. the cut. I'm going to get paid. So. Might as well just hit the ball like you normally would, Coach. All right, real quick, some other things that happened over the weekend. I want to get your comment on uh, Big Dog. First of all, one of the most underrated sports events of the year, the Frozen Four. The uh, NCAA Final Four Championship in hockey came to conclusion 37,590 at Ford Field, where the Detroit Lions play, I guess, the largest indoor uh, spectators to ever watch a hockey game. I think I got that right. Boston College five and Wisconsin zero, the Frozen Four. I know you're a big fan, Doug. Oh, those those games are absolutely fantastic. It's too bad it was a, it was a blowout, yes. a, a five-nothing game, because uh, last year the, the final game may have been one of the greatest hockey games ever played. There were three goals scored by Boston yep. University to beat, um, I forget who it was. Miami. Like, it was Miami of Ohio. Miami of Ohio. Uh, in the final minute, so mm-hmm. obviously didn't have the theatrics that last year did, but it's it's cool. Thirty seven thousand people showed up, mm-hmm. and and I got to tell you that remember Billy Gardner, former Blackhawk, uh, color analyst for the Chicago Wolves, 
we made him watch that last year. He had never watched it. And the first thing he called us up, he was like, thank you. That was some of the best hockey I've seen, you know, in my life. He was really, really excited about it. So it's, uh, if you're a hockey fan and, and you don't mind not knowing everybody on a hockey team when you mm-hmm. watch it, you will get some great, great hockey games if you watch that stuff. Saturday night, by the way, I watched a little bit of the Frozen Four Saturday afternoon, and then Saturday night had a rare Saturday night at home. One kid out of town, the other kid predisposed, had a little – Channel flipping time. I was enjoying my uh, sports venue flipping back and forth, catch a little Chicago fire. You know what I got hooked on? I actually watched a good portion of the, don't laugh now, this is true, NCAA Women's Bowling Championships. Bowling. It was pretty cool. Farley Dickinson knocked off Nebraska. You'll be uh, happy or sad to know, Big Dog, that the defending champion Nebraska team got knocked out. But women's? I'd never seen team bowling before. It was quite fascinating. Now, uh, Angie Dickinson? What about her? Did she beat Nebraska? Farley Dickinson. Oh, I always get those two confused. I, although, if Angie Dickinson were beating anybody, I'd watch. <laughs> Farley Dickinson did knocked off Nebraska. And the way, uh, not that anybody wants to know, but the way the team bowling works, Big Dog, is you basically got seven bowlers. The coach can activate any five. The other two have to come off the bench. Each one, uh, and you put them in, in the strategic rotation. So you got bowler one, then two, three, four, five for the fifth frame. You start it over, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So each bowler gets to bowl two frames. It's team competition, lots of high fives, a lot of pressure on the bowler. I was thoroughly mesmerized. mesmerized. Am I a sick sports fan or what? Oh, so I think you definitely put your best one in the fifth and tenth because you can score the most in the tenth frames, I would assume. Yeah, I was trying to figure out the strategy. The Nebraska coach was a veteran. I mean, this guy had been a wrong, I'm not sure, but he might have actually died and somebody was propping him up, but he was old. Yeah, uh, he was, he, 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 he was, what do you call it, coaching for so long, they used to use castor oil to actually <laughs> grease the actual length. That's how old this guy's been around. <laughs> he was sitting on a stool and he never moved, so I'm not sure. He might have passed away, and maybe they were just propping him up to, to keep the confidence of the players. But <laughs> we don't want to alarm anybody. No, but I'll, I'll, oh boy, and Nebraska had one girl too that's old, and she had the steely-eyed look. She would talk about intensity. Who's who's an athlete with a great, um, you know, great steely-eyed, intense? Mike look? Singletary. Yes, thank you. She was the Mike Singletary of the women's bowling. Thank you. All right. Other thing, I don't know, you you were not aware of the uh, plane crash in Poland, so maybe you're not aware of this, but Texas Stadium, the longtime stadium of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, was blown up literally over the weekend. Are you aware of that story? Uh, I knew they were doing it, Coach. I just, I, I did not see any of the, any of the results. Uh-huh. Did they have like a Washington Redskins fan do it? They, <laughs> they did not, but apparently it was like a huge spectacle. 20,000 people came to the surrounding parking lots. Uh, people were tailgating as much as the night before. They had huge tailgate parties. People were watching on TV. It was a huge event in Texas, and they had a, a planned dynamite explosion. And as far as I know, Joe Theismann did not light the match, Big Dog, but who knows? Maybe he did. Uh, I just like I just wish I would have saw Michael Irvin. Yo, man, I got my sunglasses in there. Yo, don't, don't blow that thing up yet. <laughs> Let me check all the lockers first. <laughs> you have any memories of Texas Stadium? Uh 
Yes, now that I it is down? really good ones. I, I remember in uh, late October, early November of uh, 1985, the Bears going down there and whooping the Cowboys 44 to nothing. Oh, that was a good day. That was mm-hmm. a really, really good day. Other than that, most of the memories of the Bears going down there are horrid and mm-hmm. bad. You remember when they wore those pumpkin uniforms on Thanksgiving Day and and the Bears oh. had negative yards on offense, and they actually could have. They had like lead in the third quarter. That's and when, somehow I don't even think they had a first down. I remember why. If I'm correct, it was the 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 quarterback situation for the Bears has been bad for 40 years. That day was the epitome of it. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was Craig Kenzel, Kenzel being replaced by Jonathan Quinn. Coach, right? Yes. yes. I got the game right. Yes. <laughs> Oh my good! That, oh that that oh. sums up the Bears. That that game would probably be the epitome of the Bears' quarterback struggles. Yeah, and you know, or did Chad Hutchinson was? start that game? Uh, Might have been Chad no, Hutchinson. No, Chad Hutchinson was already cut at that time by okay. the Bears. No, okay. no, he was still on the team. Yeah, you're right. He was still on the team. That yeah. was 04. That was he. That was his last year with the Bears before he got cut in preseason yeah. the next year. Yeah, not too many good memories uh, as a Chicago Bears fan. You know, overall football fan, I, I guess uh, just the memories I have involve the cheerleaders. Yes, the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders truly. Tom Landry uh, and his hat. Yep. Yep. Still and one of my favorite, one of my favorite coaches of all time. The the very stoic Tom Landry. But what I always loved about Tom Landry, he may have been stoic as is our Bear coach Lovey Smith, but his teams particularly on the offense and special teams, were amongst the most innovative in all of football. Oh, even, the, even the defense. They used to use that yeah. flex bowling defense. You know, yeah. they, they did all kinds of stuff. He was the one who came up with the nickel and dime packages. Mm-hmm. Tom Landry, a very underrated yeah. coach in terms of innovation for football. Yeah. Everybody always talks about Lombardi's the best coach. Paul Brown was the great innovator. Mm-hmm. You know, George Hallis was the founder. Tom Landry might have been the, like, the founder of, uh, like, Modern football coach. He's mm-hmm. really everybody does what Tom Landry does one nowadays. Of, one of my favorite coaches of all time. And again, you know, no emotion, very steely faced on the outside. Even in press conferences, and our current Bears coach has been likened to Tom Landry. Oh, very stoic, very serious, very straight laced. The only difference is, you watch the Dallas Cowboy team, and, and they played you know the opposite of Landry's personality. The Chicago Bear team plays the exact personality of lovey smith which is stoic and boring and not emotional doesn't work too well uh no uh, i have to admit a couple of more horses uh moving along in our titillating tidbits and uh little news and notes from over the weekend in sports a couple of more horses qualified for the kentucky derby both in the arkansas derby big dog and the bluegrass bluegrass long shots long shots came through stately victor 10 horses in the bluegrass stakes he was the farthest odds 40 to one, and stately Victor lived up to his name. He came up with a victory, and Line of David won the Arkansas Derby less than a month, my friend, to the Kentucky Derby. Line of David, huh? Is that an Israeli horse? I uh, can't tell you. I'm sure it's not one of those Saudi Arabian horses that have been coming over here whooping everybody's butt the last couple of years. All I know is uh, it was a rare moment in time. He jumped out to an early lead. Mm-hmm. Took the big lead, trying to run away from all the other horses. The horses trying to stay in play. Then they go around the final turn, and sure enough, the other horses catch up to him. And uh-huh. at that point, we've all seen it before, right? The early leader fades. Yeah. Line of David stuck to it. Three, two or three horses came up to him, and boom, Line of David found a second gasp and was able to hold off all the other horses down the stretch. Watch out. 
for my guy, Lionel David. Big victory for him. He was a 17-to-1 odds winner also. Wow, that's some, somebody wants some yep. good money this particular mm-hmm. weekend. Not a lot of people, but somebody wants something really good. Yep. 40 and then 70 to 1. Bet, uh, bet on the long shots, no question about it. Derby less than a month away. As you know, if you're a regular listener to two guys in a mic, we uh, try to throw out little uh, unknown horses that you might want to bet on, and you won't hear about these horses on some of the other major shows, Big Dog, but we have one more unknown, unsung horse to add to the state. He's from a small stables in uh, – in uh, China, in the Orient, but he might race in the Kentucky Derby. Keep an eye on Hu Flung Dung, who might be racing out of the eight post. (laughs) I will definitely keep an eye on Hu Flung Dung, Coach, just for my own personal safety. (laughs) Tomorrow we'll review some of the other horses, but uh, just a little tidbit we throw in courtesy of your good friends at Two Guys at a Mic. Finally, uh, Big Dog teams are battling for final spots in the NHL and NBA playoffs here in Chicago. Our Bulls won a big game yesterday. Uh, they beat Toronto. And a, a star, I won't say a star hath been born, but a star continues to be born like a butterfly breaking out of the cocoon. His name is Joe Keem Noah. 18 points, 19 rebounds. He carried the Bulls to a big win. Uh, he carried the Bulls to the big win. He also had a couple nice backdoor cut passes. So one of them to Taj Gibson, who is playing phenomenal coach. What a steal Taj Gibson was. He was like the 20th pick in the draft. Uh, that guy is going to be an all-rookie team this year. They, they've, they've got a nice foundation, coach. If they can add another player, this team could really, really make a, a, a nice you know rise in the standings next year. Derrick Rose is a quality ball player. He's very good. And then, like you said, Joe Kim Noah could be a center on a championship, NBA champion. Coach. Yep. I mean, that's like the type of player that is. I which, think he could be that good. Which, uh, I don't know if you want to compare guys in their first year coming out of college and what we expected of them, and three years later how we talk of them. But am I going too far to say Joe Kim Noah has made a quantum leap from what we thought he would be, i.e. a bust first round, to what he is now? And I think, you know, what you just said, a, a he could be a center on a championship game. It's unbelievable how far he has come, Big Dunk. You know, Coach, I'm going to have to disagree. I've always been on Joe Kim Noah's uh, bandwagon. I've always thought he could be a really good quality center because he doesn't care how many points he scores, and he always has cared about just his team winning. So I'm really not surprised. The fact that he's scored a little more than I thought is a surprise. The fact that, you know, he, he's been consistently getting 15 points recently, mm-hmm. that, has, that has shocked me a little bit because I see him more as like, a 10.12 rebound, three-block shot guy, you know, and then taking charges and doing other little things for a team. Okay. I know we're not going to talk to you till Friday, but uh, the NBA and the NHL, long, long regular seasons. Big Dog, when we talk to you on Friday, finally, finally we can uh, start talking Stanley Cup playoff in NBA playoffs. Very exciting time of year. Yeah, and the Rangers decided to play it safe yesterday, Coach. They were playing the Philadelphia Flyers, and basically the winner would get in. And it, and it's weird. It was like the winner would get in, and they would get the seventh seed, and the loser would be out and not even get in, mm-hmm. even though there's eight teams in in the playoffs. And what ended up happening is uh, the Rangers, who think Hendrik Lundqvist was a better goalie, they decide to play it safe and go to a shootout. And guess what happened? They lose in the shootout and they're out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So you know what? Sometimes when you play it safe, it ain't the right thing to do. You should go try to win. I did not see the game. I saw the highlight of the Philadelphia Flyer goalie making that last save, and boy, the the celebration. Huh? Off of Yoli Oli Okinen, he made the save off of. Oh, not Kari Lettinen. 
<laughs> no. Different guy? Yes, different Remember, guy. he used to be a goalie for the Chicago Wolves, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Talk about bad names. A goalie, his last name was Lettinen. The only the only worse name than Lettinen is Passmore. <laughs> Which is true, too. Steve Passmore was a goalie for the Blackhawks. All right, Big Dog, hopefully uh, you'll be able to uh, check in Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday so our listeners will hear your voice, and I know you'll be uh, co-hosting Friday's show. Thank you so much, my friend, and stay out of trouble. I don't want to read about you in the crime report. You know I check the papers every day. Uh, well, luckily, hopefully you don't know how to read. Otherwise, you might be finding me. <laughs> Thank you, Big Dog. Take it easy, Coach. Thank you, Dave Olson. All right. Have a great day, everybody. We appreciate your listen. TalkZone.com. Two guys at a mic. We're off. Check us out. 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Have an outstanding day, everybody.